Ahoy authors! You're listening to The Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with hosts Leslie Watts and Clark Chamberlain. Welcome to episode 71 of the Writership Podcast. I'm Leslie Watts, here with Clark Chamberlain from The Book Editor Show. Every week, we show you editing in action with tips that you can use to improve your own stories. If you want to learn more about the Writership Podcast, you can visit the website at writership.org podcast. The Writership Podcast is brought to you by the Author Marketing Institute as part of the AMI Podcast Network. You can learn more about how AMI is helping authors by visiting www.authormarketinginstitute.com. If you go there today, you can gain free access to their video course entitled Selling Your First 100 Copies, and that's authormarketinginstitute.com. Hey, Clark, how's it going? Oh, it's going very well, Leslie. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. We missed a uh, a week that was uh that was my fault. Uh well, s- sort of um because my son broke his leg. Um and he's oh. doing much better now, but that was kind of a crazy uh crazy interlude. But we are back and you have some news, I think. Oh yeah, so it was really exciting. Uh, this last week was the uh, soft launch for uh, Hank Hudson and the Anubis, my uh, newest book in the middle grade series under the same title, Hank Hudson. So I'm really excited about that. Cool. And what's that about, just to, in a nutshell? So in a nutshell, it's uh, about these Egyptian gods that have come back to the world during the 1930s, during that time of great war and depression and all this stuff that's going on, and the young boy who's caught up in the whole world. And uh, so it's a great Egyptian gods uh, fantasy adventure, you know, about a boy growing up. Awesome. Middle grade fiction. Very good. Okay. And we'll include a link to that in the show notes. So um, if you have a middle grade reader, definitely check that out. Or, or if you're an adult who likes to read fantasy, because well, I don't write true. down to people. So like it's, <laughs> that's it's a lot true. of fun. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, uh, shall we dive into the quote of the week? Uh, yeah, let's do that. Um, so this week comes from uh, Beth Hill, and uh, she says, Verbs bring action, motion, and movement to our sentences. Without verbs, nothing happens. Verbs move story people, both literally and emotion. Without verbs, characters and story go nowhere. Without the right verbs, at the right time, characters and story go to the wrong places or get there in the wrong way, lacking impact or being overwhelmed by unnecessary actions. Mm. So verbs are pretty important. I I hear that they are. They can. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, choosing the right verbs also can kind of be important. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we'll see how that unfolds. Um, Today, today's submission is um, Alazar's The Coursers, Daughter of the Flood by Krishan Keller-Hanna. It's a magical realism story. It's not yet published, but will be soon, and we'll include the link for the pre-order in the show notes. The word count is around 17,000, and this submission is from the prologue of the first book 
in the second trilogy of this story that contains a series of trilogies. So it's a large and complex world and um, and so this is just one little slice of it. Um, there's a little adult language in this, so if there if you are at work or with uh, people who are sensitive to that, you might want to listen to this another time. So thanks again, Krishan, for uh, for your submission, and Clark is going to read it today. All right, here we go, some story time. Prologue. You're nothing like I expected, story mother. The dark-skinned woman across from me was supple and round, in jeans and a v-neck shirt. Her hair was in dreads, were braided and in a huge bun. She either had no makeup, or it was designed to look like she wasn't wearing any. What did you expect? The daughter of the flood, she said. Her voice was so bright and cheerful, I mentally rolled my eyes. I hadn't eaten and was on the verge of getting angry. I didn't have the time for cheerful. I shrugged. I don't know what I thought I would see. I stopped for a moment to gather my thoughts. She leaned back in the chair and rubbed her hand against the leather, saying nothing and looking out the windows. It was hard to determine if she was bored or impressed with the room or the view. The first time I'd enter a ghost house, well, one that didn't involve a fight, I'd taken an hour looking at all the detail that the prenas put into the wood carvings on the door and overhead beams, the handmade clay mosaics on the floor, and all the tech that was hidden away, or the view of the open seas from, that, from this vantage point. Then I realized she might be thinking of changing where the house was or replacing everything of Prana's opulence to Ethereum minimalism. A chill ran down my spine. I thought you would be old, I finally said. You know, that Deveron leathery skin cured with salt water and heat and hard time, still standing upright after 234 years on the sea, and a face that said she was not about taking your bullshit. She leaned back and let out a full barking laugh. Make no mistake, I am not about the bullshit. She turned from the window and looked straight, uh, looked me straight in the eye. But you are not the only one that thought I would be old. Well, older than I am. She lowered her face into her hand, slowly giving me the once-over. Was I what you expected? I said, with a bit weaker than I intended. You mean, do I want to change what you look like? There was a chuckle right on the edge of her voice. Is there something you would like to change or something you want to keep? My mouth hung over for a moment. I had to say, I liked my look. I was dark as the story mother, but the red didn't show when I was out in the sun too long. My hair was curly and bouncy, frizzled just enough so it was out, out to my shoulders. And if I had the wild hair to use a glamour, or if I was on the ship, hair oil, it still went into spiral curls just for the asking. I also liked being a Deveron, blue eyes, scale tattoos and all. She had fish scales tattoos as well. That was a good sign. But she also had words on her skin. I had never seen that before. It was like she chose what to have on her skin. Can you make glamours not a thing? I said, and we both laughed. No, that's a thing that's going to stay a thing. She sat up and moved on the edge of her seat. Congratulations on surviving the purge, Duke. I mean that. 
I have to admit that I had forgotten about you for a while. I was surprised that you surfaced at all. She said that one breath, but her voice had gradually gained an edge. Her smile faded and her eyes locked on me for longer than I thought wise without pulling a weapon. Then the latch on the door popped and the bright smile and eyes snapped back. She watched as the large wooden carved door opened on its own and a page pushed in a coffee cart. I turned back to the story mother. What do you mean? She held up her hand with smooth, fluid movement and I realized I didn't need to talk. I wanted to, but then the story mother tilted her head toward the door. I was compelled to focus on the young girl bringing in coffee, tea, and things to, to eat to us. It is like the story mother was spell mage messing with my head without her eyes glowing and all the singing. She closed her eyes and inhaled. And bergamot, fruit, chocolate, and even a sour cheese smell filled my head. Not hers, mine. I wanted to be mad and more than a little bothered, but the food smelled too good. Wait, was that the way that she smelled it? To, to care? She opened her eyes and her smile went brighter. You are a different type of powered, I said. The cart stopped between us and the page moved to the side and pulled out a panel that looked four-sided, carved, and like a gilded rectangle box without a top. She swung the panel vertically and slid the bottom edge under my chair. The top edge went over the arm of the chair and she set a small plate and did the same for the story mother. Without a word, the page placed a cup of tea with milk next on my side table. Then she turned to the story mother. What would you have, ma'am? She spoke fast. Her pure prana accent chipped the end of every word. She ended her question, flourish, and a bow. Coffee with cream. What is your name, sweetie? She said, looking at the page. The girl's gold eyes went wide, the blush barely showing on her cheeks. Rasha, the second daughter of the first daughter of the of the Kasa clan and the all-knowing house of Prana. Ma'am, she bowed even lower. No flourish. She meant this one. I will have coffee with cream and some of the soft cheese, please, Rosha. The girl gave her best bow in getting the coffee and the cheese to her, then bowed low again before getting into her position. Can I finish my question? I said finally, wondering if she already knew what I was going to say. She smiled and took a sip of her coffee. Ten years ago, Purge destroyed the Alizar, she said, and many were lost, and those that weren't lost have been forever changed. I stopped right before my cup came to my lips. I have always been this way. I have been coal for over 30 years. I remember my entire life, and that goes much further back than 10 years. Of course you do. I don't want anyone to remember that. The story mother placed her cup on her serving table and looked over the sandwiches. She pointed at a pork belly, and the Rosha took her plate. And a bit of the jelly too, please, she said. Rosha smiled and picked up tongs. I barely want to, but that is also the problem. The story mother turned back to Duke. I know that you are called the daughter of the flood, the legendary courser. That is who you are now. I don't know the journey you took to get there. And that is what I am here to hear. My bullshit detector went off full alarm. Wait, you are the damned story mother. Why the hell do I have to tell you anything? Why don't you tell me? 
the story mother looked at Rosha with that dark glare, and for the briefest moment her eyes rolled back in her head, and they were white. Not like the Ethereum white-silver glow, but flat. And then her eyes were brown again. There was a crash. I jumped up, my hand on my whip, out of reflex more than anything else. I looked around. The story mother still had her attention on Rosha. The tea-blue and silver plate Rosha was holding had dropped and was in pieces on the dark wood floor. Rosha had her bright green eyes fixed on the story mother. Her mendy-lined fingers, the first tattoos that rose on the skin were unchanged. Her skin was still bronze, but her eyes were green. The story mother reached over and picked up one of the sandwiches. What is your name, sweetie? She said to Rosha. Rosha opened her mouth to speak and stopped. She took a moment to pull her hair up. My name is Allie, the third daughter of the fourth daughter of the Cooper family, the evergreen house of Tilleran. Her words were slower, in a broke. She looked at the plate. How did that get there? Her eyes glowed green. Pieces snapped off the floor and into her hand. I'll get this taken care of. She bowed low in an arching swing, no flourish, like a Tilleran. I turned to the story mother. Why did you make her a Tilleran? The story mother turned to me. I only changed her eye color. But it was that one thing that threw everything that she is, and she was, into chaos. All the spine I ever had came to me at that moment. And what was more, I felt my eyes glow, and my finger took the catch off my whip. The story mother finished the sandwich and reached for another. That is why you must tell me your story. I want to hear, then decide what to keep and what to change. I understand that it all started with an oil change. All right. Thanks, Clark. You're Uh, welcome. Um, I really, uh, thanks again for the submission, Krishan, um, and full disclosure that, that I've read, um, parts of the first trilogy in this, um, in this story world. And Krishan and I have talked through, um, the structure for three of the different, um, trilogies. So I have some working knowledge of the world, uh, and the characters in this story. Um, and, uh, and so it'll be kind. Of, it, it's interesting to me to see what um, Clark, what your um, take on things is, since you don't have the same um, familiarity with it. But um, I really, I think we've got some really great questions um, that that create a very strong hook. Like, what is the purge? What is the relationship? The nature of the relationship between these two women? You know, who are the the people and the families that are mentioned? Um, and these two uh, main characters, um, the story mother and Duke, are really interesting and. Um, and their behavior, their, the odd behavior of what, you know, that happens um, just kind of leads to that, like, what's going on? Um, and I think, uh, uh, obviously, that we've avoided a lot of, um, you know, excessive backstory here in the opening pages, which is a temptation, I think, with, you know, when you have speculative fiction, you're building a particular world, you want to get um, the most you want to get the important facts before people so that they can understand the story. But you also want to um, hold back as much as possible for the mystery and the hook. And also for, um, you know, just so it's not it's not monotonous. So I think all of these facets work together for a compelling opening. Um, 
So what did you think, Clark? Well, I, I have to agree with you. You know, and these are the kinds of submissions. This is the kind of stuff that I love to read because then I because all I've got to do is nitpick. You know, like <laughs> you've got good pacing. You know, the characters are interesting. Um, it's building very clear pictures in my mind as I'm reading. And the dialogue isn't forced. You know, there's some things that need to be adjusted, but it's just it, it's great when you see an author trust the reader to be able to understand what's going on instead of, you know, handing them everything. And um, so that's really good. I, it's really good. And again, um, it builds an interesting world that didn't make me ask a ton of, uh, or maybe going back and reading again, trying to figure something out. Mm-hmm. It felt like I can just go through this and they're going to be able to reveal stuff. I'm going to discover it as I read along. And uh, it wasn't like, oh, geez, I wish someone would have dumped a whole bunch of information here so I could understand the world. Right, right. So I had some, I had some um, suggestions, though, for, mm-hmm. for the author that, um, that I was a little clear, unclear um, about the characters in the very beginning. And mm-hmm. so I, w- I would suggest actually dialogue tags for those first two um, you know, with identifiers for those first two lines, just so we know. Um, and that doesn't, you know, that um, the the first because the first line is. Uh, let me find that here. The first line is, "You're nothing like I expected, Story Mother." I said is what I, I said is what I would add actually to that, just so we're identifying that speaker as the first person point of view mm-hmm. character right there. And then, you know, and then it, it's easy to conclude from that, that she is looking at the, um, at the, the story mother, who is the dark skinned woman across from her. And um, so I think just that little, um, that, that little bit there would help um, to kind of uh, corral those two characters. And Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I was going to say you're you're absolutely right in there because as you can read that the other way, you're nothing like I expected, Story Mother, and then you go into the dark skinned woman. You could easily see that maybe that's the dark skinned woman saying that, and that the person who's the first person point of view is the Story Mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so and the other thing I think is that that we don't find out Duke's name. Um, until we're kind of, I think we're a couple of pages into the um, mm-hmm. into the prologue and I would actually um, that was a little hard for me like which she are we talking about is it the story mother or is it the you know the other person uh, the other main person in the room with mm-hmm. her and so I would um, you know find a way to and I think the story mother could easily just drop her name in there um in you know in one of the early lines of dialogue and so that that that's a little more clear and then we can begin to collect information about each of them and attach that to the name as opposed to okay that other woman who happens to be in the room mm-hmm. and you know talking just briefly about uh, dialogue dialogue tags mm-hmm. um when we you know, we're having these two people have a conversation. So it's easy for the reader to go and understand that if I just finished, um, I have a close quote here and that's character A, then the next open quote should be character B. And um, sometimes in this particular submission, this is where I would make some rearrangements um, because we have character A speak and then we have a new line and we have character A speak again. 
And it can become confusing for the reader because you want that natural back and forth between it. And so sometimes uh, where appropriate, you can move that back up to um, the line before and add in a secondary paragraph or not close the quote off um, or maybe put the tag at the beginning of the sentence, um, you know, that uh, the story mother, you know, uh, scratched her face and said, you know, like whatever it is, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that it's simple. So we know who it is that's speaking and so we don't get hung up. Um, so that's the worst thing we can do is have to read something again because we realize that someone else is speaking it. Right, right. Because the because the the situation like that that this is kind of a page turner, you know, with the mystery kind of pulling mm-hmm. you through and the pacing, and so you don't want anybody to get tripped up on. Wait, who was that? Who said that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the. The other thing that I'm a little unclear about is the setting, um, and I'm wondering if that's intentional. Um, You mentioned something about um, that you thought maybe, you know, that there might be circumstances that would apply that would make this changeable. Yeah, because um, when we're when we're speaking and she's talking about the first time that she's been into, it's the Ghost House. and she's talking about how uh, ornate things are, but then we also talk about um, the hidden technology. And then we're talking about how things can change. And so for me, coming into this series as a complete novice, have no no background understanding of the world, I was thinking to myself, well, is this kind of one of those rooms where the technology changes everything, almost like a virtual reality experience that someone can just adjust it and all of a sudden we're someplace else? Um so there was some uh, questions that I had about that. And so it didn't make it completely clear. I mean, it was pretty easy. You know, you can see kind of see um, some couches or some chairs or something there when they bring in the coffee and tea. But previous to that, it's kind of really blank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, and I think it's, you know, when you contrast that with the um, with the um, kind of detailed descriptions of the characters, you know, Mm -hmm. and we don't have a, you know, we get, yeah, as you say, we get some of the furniture, um, and, and that kind of thing after, you know, after a little bit of time, but to have just a, you know, a sentence or two that kind of, that places us in a, you know, that gives us a sort of, I mean, like, and again, I wouldn't want to go for an, um, a big info dump and this is, you know, this is the pattern on the um, on the utensils and, you know, like mm-hmm. you wouldn't want to go overboard, but just a sentence or two that places us in a particular, um, in a particular, <laughs> a particular place, I want to say. Right. What I'm thinking of is like, um, and I can't remember which episode it was, but we had the, the one with the fight in like the Coliseum mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so what I and and when I was in that, I didn't know, are we talking about modern times? Are we talking about, you know, is this an ancient Rome kind of thing? Or is it, you know, is it something else? So just a little something that places us in a in a place in time and then um and so that we can, you know, you could reveal more later, but just a little thing that grounds us in that setting. Yeah. And um, I think definitely, you know, um, 
in here, we everything is so well put together, like um, with uh, the right pacing and you know the right amount of time spent on description. Mm-hmm. So um, definitely take a look at this when you're on the show notes and and see how this portion is described. But then think about how you could put that in with description. I just had one little thought here, you know. Mm-hmm. So you've got Duke, um, like you can take a character, and so instead of having to put a paragraph of just kind of what the character or just like we talk about info dump, just like the paragraph of description. You could have a moment that um, maybe the room is too small and that makes the character feel claustrophobic. Maybe the room is too large and that uh, that makes them feel this way. And so if you can attach it to feelings of how the characters, again, are responding, we've talked about this before. What does a character see? You know, how's the character react to this? And we can see just a little bit of that. You know, does a character find it to be a beautiful room? Do they find it to be, um, makes them feel uncomfortable? Such and such reminds them of their grandmother's house, you know. Like we can have some little things and we can just get some establishment there without having to have like these huge paragraphs of just description. Right. Yeah. Because that's not fun for anybody. (laughs) (laughs) It's not. (laughs) Somebody to, I'm thinking of a particular author, I'm not going to (laughs) say. (laughs) <laughs> a, po- a particular po- very popular author okay never mind leslie quiet okay so um then um you know we wanted to talk about verbs obviously we kind of gave that away so i think um that that you know in here there are we have a lot of the um to be and to have um and sometimes you know that's used for um Sometimes you're using it for the um, past tense and that kind of thing, you know, so I'm not talking about that. But what I'm talking about is when, you know, we have this great opening um, where, okay, the dark skinned woman, you know, with really with some cool details about the story mother, the dark skinned woman across from me was supple and round wearing jeans and a V-neck shirt. Her hair was in dreads that were braided and in a huge bun and you know so like what would it be like to use um to use stronger verbs than just was you know Mm -hmm. she was like um and I'm I'm blanking right now but but get on you know specific ones but she wore her hair in you know this way or you know which isn't that's like just a next level but you can punch it up like and and really think about um, some very specific verbs. And what I love about that is that it can really transform a sentence and a paragraph and over the course of a story, it's amazing what you can do when you, um, when you make those verbs really strong and really specific. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for, for some verbs, like, you know, when you're talking about, you know, she walked across the room, you can, you can find a whole bunch of different words to describe walked, and that's oh, pretty yeah. easy. Um, mm-hmm. The to-be verbs are going to be more difficult because it's a lot of them are not just pull, just replace it one word with another. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the, the dreads, I actually redid this one so I could give kind of an example on this. Uh-huh. And because we got two to-be verbs in here. Um, her hair was and then were later on. And so we can, this one required really kind of a rewrite in a way, moving some stuff around. And so I would do it like this, you know, like a, a huge bun of braided hair sprouted like a fountain spilling into dreadlocks that flowed down her neck. Like it, it's using these different kinds of words and taking, um, 
taking it and rearranging it so that we can drop those out entirely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So don't be afraid to exactly to rearrange stuff, rearrange the furniture in the sentence um, <laughs> to to get that. Um, it's you know, and you know, and 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 Krishan might decide, well, that doesn't really fit my voice, and that you sure. know, um, in this particular piece. But that's a great example of what can be done to um, to punch up those verbs and make them yeah. more interesting. Um, and mm-hmm. I, here, one more example, yeah. um, th- and this is like a real simple one. So in a little bit later, she says, her voice was so bright and cheerful, I mentally rolled my eyes. And so then again, we've got the was, you know, which ends up because the, the to be verbs can end up being making it more passive. So this is just an example, like to get rid of this one, we could take it and just do a rearrangement and we can move it to say, I mentally rolled my eyes at her bright and cheerful voice. And we just take the, um, the, I mentally rolled my eyes part at the end and we put it at the beginning and then we can drop the, to be verb out entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I see, um, I see the next one. Um, the whip, where's the whip? Oh, so uh, I, yeah. I, I tried to find one in here that uh-huh. would, cause this is like my, my third example that I always use with my students, um, to getting rid of, and this is the easiest to be verb to get rid of is if you have an example, like she was holding, uh-huh. was holding the whip tight in her hand. Yeah. And so it, immediately it's easy enough to do is you just say she held. So we drop holding, kick the ing off, change it to the tense to held. She held the whip tight in her hand, and then we get rid of the to be verb. Right. Yeah. So that that um, progressive past progressive is that was holding, and mm. um, and that um, I know this is going to bore a few people. So just bear <laughs> with me a moment. But but the point is that 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 progressive mean it it was it it had been you know still going on. You can you can convey that. Um, oftentimes with the simple um, past. So, you know, she held that. And then, and of course you can, like, you can, of course, go further and (laughs) say, you know, she grasped or she, you know, or or something like that. So if you want to, you can um, really, you can add a lot more um, description. And then, you know, as we've talked about before, rely on adverbs and adjectives, um, less often and uh and really you know the prose just becomes um much more alive um and fun exactly and um again that's what all this is about is just making it more accessible to the reader and more engaging so that they can just see more of it so because uh, the idea of held and grasped you know that's that's two different um, again, it's going to create two different pictures in the reader's mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you can hold a child or you can hold a whip. And um, <laughs> and those are two very different things. But, you know, like you cradle a child or you grasp or, you you know, the, uh, mm-hmm. the whip, you know, so that that becomes, um, yeah, as, as you said, a clear picture, a clear image in the mind of the reader. Um, and more of an experience than being told the story. Right. 
Yeah. Again, that show, don't tell. I hear that's important somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's one of those things. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things that people talk about. They <laughs> mention it. Um, and I wanted to say one more thing um, about this because um, when I first encountered um, Krishan's work that I had a, um, like I was going through and I was correcting, correcting, I'm using air quotes there, um, the you know certain things um in the you know in the dialogue and in um and in the prose to um to that were actually intentional and that were part of the um part of Krishan's voice and so um what I would say and this is you know this is for writers and um and editors too but but particularly writers if you have some you know like a special um part of your voice like you know when you've done something intentional that somebody could you know that an editor could think oh that's incorrect or that's a typo or inadvertent then you know then go ahead and mention that up front because that way the editor's not going to waste time on that stuff or the editor Mm -hmm. might have suggestions about that um you know, with that in mind. Um, so, and editors, if you encounter something like that over and over again, then you, um, you know, you would want to say, you know, just send a little note and say, Hey, uh, I noticed this and was that intentional and, and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And so I'm learning, uh, a lot from, um, from working with, authors who have really strong voices and and have particular ways they want to do something um there's another client who has um who um changes point of view more often and so I'm kind of like picking up on that and um giving more specific advice than the than the general don't do that um (laughs) which isn't (laughs) always helpful um so yeah I wanted to add that as a little tip well, that's a good tip. But even more, you know, like to go beyond that. Oh, but let me check actually with you. Do you have anything else you wanted to mention? <laughs> no, that uh, that covered my to be verbs. It covered a little bit of dialogue. So okay. I'm good. Cool. Okay. So I have a, an editorial mission. What? Yeah. It's not about verbs, though, is it? It, it is about what? verbs. Yeah, and this is this cool. Is so I've been saving this one for a while um, and uh, because uh, my friend James Ton, at, um, who's with Podium Publishing, um, which is an audiobook uh, publishing company, um, th- he shared this um this technique that he and his wife um, used for um, to really punch up their verbs. And they both write poetry. Um, Molly Coles, Ton, is, um, is James' wife, and, and she's a poet. And, but James also writes poetry. And, uh, and the cool thing about this technique is that, you know, that poets don't have the luxury of lots of excess words. They can't use lots of adjectives and adverbs and, and, and things to convey their meaning. They have to keep it pretty tight. Um, so, um, so we can learn a lot from them about how they, how they do that, how they reach the precision with, um, with, you know, in just a few words. So, um, so yes. So this week I want you to take, um, five to 10 page passage from your 
story. And I want you to make a list of all the verbs you use. You can either make a list, you know, in the old fashioned way, handwriting it, or just, um, you know, highlight them in your document if you prefer to do that, do it that way. But, but um, track down all of those verbs and then rate them with a one, a two, or a three. So ones are your weakest verbs and those are your um, to be, to have, to feel, to seem, to become. Now, all of these verbs are perfectly legitimate and fine mm-hmm. in some contexts, but it's when we overuse them that um, that uh, that it becomes a problem. So that's those are the ones and the twos. We have some uh, some are linking verbs as well, but some are. Um, well here they are it's put it's place it's walk it's move it's head it's grow sound remain look smell taste resemble Um, and I'll put these in the uh, in the show notes because I'm not expecting that you will be writing all those down but so these are a notch above those the ones right they convey something a little more um, but they still don't convey they still don't give you everything they could and so I want you to um, to then move all those ones and twos to to um, to the threes which are strong specific verbs so we have punch saunter creep grab delegate manipulate negotiate so those you know verbs that um that show what's happening and engender a picture you know within the mind of the reader to help um really fill out that um that experience of the story so uh again i'll put those verbs in the show notes and uh and i want you to strive for as many of many threes as you can manage um, and then let us know how it goes. You can leave us a comment at the bottom of the show notes or drop us a line at writershippodcast at gmail.com. So that's all I have for the mission today, for today. <laughs> well, it's a great mission. So um, remember, though, that the Writership Broadcast is brought to you by the good folks at the Author Marketing Institute, which you can find at www.authormarketinginstitute.com. Don't forget to stop by today for access to the video course, Selling Your First 100 Copies. And before we go, if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. That's really important. Uh, And if you want to have your five pages reviewed, then you can send them to writershippodcast at gmail.com. Finally, be sure to check out the book editor show with Clark, uh, which Clark hosts with Peter Turley. Um, The next episode will will give you tips on how to edit the thriller genre which is found to be quite thrilling (laughs) (laughs) sorry i couldn't help myself all right we will see you next time on the writership podcast ready for leslie and clark to help you find the treasure in your manuscript submit your pages to writership.org forward slash podcast